RPI Freedom Dialogues, Turkey. Join the conversation on the future of quality journalism. Welcome to International Press Institute's new podcast series, Freedom Dialogues. As IPI's National Committee, we are proud to present this new project, which aims to provide precise and to-the-point conversations with relevant experts on the issues that fall under the freedoms agenda of ours. As you know, freedom of expression, freedom of media, freedom of press are our primary area of expertise. And we are hoping to bring you in-depth conversations on the problems we are facing as journalists of Turkey. Honestly, we have so many authentic problems in Turkey, which is a result of the political regime we are living in. Some of the problems are still not too different from the problems of our colleagues across the world. That's why you will probably find lots of common discussions similar to the ones you're having in your own countries, especially if you are a media professional a civil society leader or an academic. This is our first episode, as I said, so I thought it would be just appropriate, just right, to kick off by having IPI Turkey National Chair and IPI Board Member Kadri Gürsel, a renowned, brave journalist who is a very good friend of mine, who has never given up on his principles and for those who personally paid the price. He became one of the dozens of journalists in Turkey who were thrown behind the bars in the last decade. He's out now, but so many of our colleagues are still struggling in the prisons. It's especially worrisome during these coronavirus times. Without further ado, I would like to welcome Kadri Gürsel. Kadri, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here with me today. I have the honor of beginning our new podcast series with you. Hi, Jansu. I'm glad and honored your first guest and thank you for your considerations and appreciation. I hope IPI Freedom Dialogues would make a great contribution to raising awareness of how vital and crucially important is the press freedom for the country. I also hope and believe that IPI Freedom Dialogues would contribute for a better and clearer understanding of the situation in Turkey in all aspects regarding with the press freedom deficit in its current state and with its causes and consequences. I would like to jump in to the heart of the issue, but still, especially in the last decade, especially in the last 12 years, maybe, the trend, the rising trend of jailing journalists is taking place. In the past, in Turkey's political history, during the times of the military coups, this was the case. But this was not usually an ongoing process. Now we are talking about years of jailing journalists. And what lies at the heart of this problem, and of course, as you said, this cannot be detached from the political situation in Turkey. So before we go into the details, I would like you to summarize how you would characterize the essence of the problem to our colleagues and friends around the world. Well, Jansu, this is a political question indeed, and then needs to be answered in a political way. I have to make a political assessment because, as we all know, freedom of the press is an inseparable part of democracy. Without freedom of the press, there can't be a democracy, and there's a negative and positive interaction in between the two. When a country begins to backpedal in the field of freedom of the press, it usually backpedals 
in the field of democracy. This, this connection is also inseparable. I think press freedom can't be suppressed without violating the rule of law and human rights. These are somewhat coupled processes. So the damage done to democracies by suppressing press freedom is always huge and never stays limited with the press freedom per se. And not only in Turkey, but in the world, recent history teaches us that all would-be autocratic leaders attack against press freedom in the first place to become a real autocrat. It's always the press freedom which is chosen as the first target. As we've seen this phenomenon in Europe, for example, in Hungary, as an example. Uh, mm. Nedim has been behind the bars for 1500 days. As our national committee chair, you have been following this case like all the other journalism cases in Turkey very closely. What is so particular about Nedim Turfan's case? Yes, uh, the day of this first podcast coincides with the dramatic turning point of a green case, which is very revealing about the current state of the press freedom deficit in Turkey. So I think uh, this is the answer. Nedim Turfan case is very revealing about almost all aspects of Turkey's growing press freedom deficit. June 21st marks the 1500 days since Kurdish news editor and reporter Nedim Turfan was arrested and sentenced to eight years and nine months in prison on trumped-up terrorism charges which followed an unfair trial. Why do we remember Nedim Turfan? And why do we want that he must also be remembered by others and not forgotten in the prison cell of the high-security prison in Van, the city in the southeast of Turkey, where he is unjustly kept? Personally, I have to say that I don't like counting days in prison. But for those who are outside of the prison, For those who are not jailed, I think it's important. Counting days in prison for the inmate, for the jailed journalist, can be mentally and psychologically disturbing. So I said I would not recommend it to journalists in jail. Instead of them, we, as IPI or other press freedom advocacy groups, we do count their days in jail. And June 21st, in this regard, marks, I repeat, the 1500 day of Nedim Turfan, which is symbolically very important. I think remembering is a duty. We are more human and more alive when we remember things that matter, when we speak about things that are worth to remember. And Nedim Turfan's case is a case, among such cases, worth to remember. So let's remember and see why we pay importance to Nedim Turfan's case, a symbolic case which encapsulates almost all aspects of Turkey's big steps backward in the field of press freedom in the course of last 12 years. So we were speaking about the authoritarian drive. Some observers do start the period with the suppressing of the Gezi uprising in 2013. On the contrary, I do start this authoritarian drive with the beginning of the suppression of the press freedom in 2008. So that's why I say in the course of the last 12 years. Kadri, we'll go back to Nedim's case, but I would like yeah. you to elaborate on why you think this period started so much earlier than many people think in the West. Gezi protests, they were a turning point for the West to realize what, what has been taking place in Turkey. But you and I, journalists of this country, we knew this was coming 
long before. And uh, why year 2008 is so special in understanding how this trend in Turkey started? Well, it's all about perceptions and perception grids, which are formed in such situations, circumstances. And Turkey's drive gives us a very good example of it. Thanks to pro-EU, pro-democracy, pro-reform policies of AKP in power beginning from 2003-2004. AKP, then Prime Minister Mr. Erdogan having a date for the beginning of the accession negotiations for the EU, etc. And also AKP and Mr. Erdogan together attacking all Turkey's taboos, such as, you know, Kurdish question, Armenian taboo. These policies have created a very positive perception grid through which only positive stories would pass. And at this interaction, I have to criticize my uh, fellow Western journalist reporters based in Turkey at that time. They were reporting so, and they were really... It was amazing for them to see how a moderate Islamist or ex-Islamist political movement in Turkey then was changing Turkey's facade almost five years to grasp the reality, to, to grasp that the drive was already changed in a very negative direction. They didn't see or they didn't want to see that these Islamists in power whom they were really in trouble to name, denominations like ex-Islamist, moderate Islamist, Islamist or Islamic origin, etc. They were actually taking Turkey into a different place, very different place from which they were supposed Turkey was going to. And uh, Gezi uprising shattered this perception grid. And the reaction that the Erdogan government had given to Gezi uprising uh, also uh, helped taking down this perception grid. And this grid has been replaced by another one. This time, perceptions gain a negative character and then everything was upside down. Moderate Islam would be compatible with democracy, etc. were shattered dramatically. And then the whole perception, whole image of AKP's Turkey has changed. This was a very important period, a rupture, a breakdown. But the story started long before 2003. The story began in 2008, but this beginning was refused to be seen. Coming back to Nedim's case, what was his alleged mistake? Why was he arrested in the first place? This well, case mm. is worth mentioning, I believe, because it gives us hints. It gives everyone hints about how it feels to be a journalist in Turkey, especially in the southeast of Turkey these days? Nedim Tufan's mistake, I think, was being a journalist and uh, being in the right place as a journalist when a wrongdoing was occurring amid clashes between Turkish security forces and the PKK in the streets of Yüksekova, district of Hakkari. Hakkari is a province in southeastern Turkey. And the event took place in the spring of 2016. And Edim Turfant paid the price dearly of being in the right place as a journalist. His crime was reporting about a very disturbing but newsworthy video taken at a construction site in Yüksekova. 
In that video, it was seen Turkish Special Operations Unit taking 50 workers, construction workers, I mean, and handcuffing them behind their backs before forcing them to lie on the ground. At the time, Nedim Tufant was working for Pro-Kurdish Digital News Agency. Dijle is the Turkish name of Tigris River, Dijle News Agency. This news agency was later shut down following the attempt coup of July 15, 2016. Dijle News Agency published a story under the headline, quote, now you will see the power of the Turk, end of quote. These were the words of a special operation team member who was heard in the video. He was shouting at the handcuffed workers. Immediately, Turfant began to receive death threats on the social media. And this is how events have unfolded then. On May 12, 2016, Turfant was arrested. One day after his arrest, on May 13, 2016, Turfant had been charged with membership of a terrorist organization. And the whole legal process in Turfant's case was horrendous throughout his pre-trial detention and his trial altogether. The indictment against him was only produced after he had been in prison pending for 13 months. The prosecutor criminalized Turfan's reporting and journalistic articles and sought a jail sentence of 22 and a half years against him. The only evidence cited in the indictment consisted of newspaper articles, his journalistic works, and the statements of witnesses. There were four secret witnesses and also 22 open witnesses against Nedim Turfant. Then the first hearing took place on June 14, 2017 in Hakkari, some 200 kilometers away from Van, where he was held in jail. Through the five further hearings followed, 19 witnesses who were called said that they had to make their statements being under torture. Turfant was denied the right to appear personally in court every time. At the fifth hearing, which took place on December 15, 2017, the judges, ignoring the defense and the fact that the witnesses' testimonies having been obtained under torture, sentenced Turfan to eight years and nine months. Finally, Turkey's Supreme Court of Cassation upheld on October 9, 2019, this nearly nine-year jail sentence given to Nedim Turfan. Kadi, this is a very dramatic set of events. Many of the colleagues behind the bars have gone through similar psychological and legal processes. But we are talking about Nedim today because he's mm-hmm. been behind the bars for 1500 days. And I myself too, we often refer to him when we are talking about him, we refer to him as a Kurdish journalist. Maybe universally, this is not necessary. We can just say Nedim is a journalist, full stop. But in the Turkish context, unfortunately, it's a loaded word being a Kurdish journalist. This is why probably we feel the need to underline that Nedim is a Kurdish journalist. Am I making a mistake by feeling the need to underline that Nedim is a Kurdish journalist? Well, look, when the discussion is going on in Turkey, we don't refer to journalists' ethnic background. Usually, we refer to journalists' affiliations. But to show the difference, I think when we address the international audience, it's a necessity to to use the Kurdishness as a denomination to describe a journalist. Because in Nedim Turfent's case and in all cases of 
journalists of Kurdish origin, I have to say, in this case, it's important. It's important, and this is not politically incorrect. The question is, is disturbing. It, it really, you know, keeps me busy. Is it ethically right to use his ethnic background as a denominator when we define him as a journalist? And my, my answer to that question is yes, in Tufan case, yes, it is. Because he was reporting from a local perspective, mostly on events manifesting multiple aspects of Turkey's Kurdish question. And he has a strong Kurdish identity. Journalists have the solemn right to have selected agenda or priorities. Journalists can focus on environmental issues, on economy, on human rights, on foreign policy, as well as on Kurdish question. And journalists can focus on the human rights aspect of the Kurdish question. I think Nedim Turfan was one of them. In this case, we cannot deny Nedim Turfan from having a selected agenda or being selective. The important factor in this regard is whether Nedim was praising or not political violence in his reporting. And if yes, that would make the journalist an activist or a militant using the media as an instrument. I think in Nedim's case, this is not true. What Nedim Turfan has done is pure and simple journalism. And his concern story addresses definitely to a certain point of public interest. The public interest in our case, differs from the public interest in the western part of the country. There are many different public interests in Turkey. We have to admit it. There is a Kurdish sensitivity, which Nedim Turfant was addressing. A journalist cannot be denied from doing this, whether he or she is Turkish or Kurdish. Cannot be denied from covering especially the manifestations of Turkey's endemic Kurdish question. The criteria here is whether he or she is doing his or her job accordingly, according to the established rules of international standards. This is the measure that we can, we can judge Nidim Turfan's professional work. And our national committee, in times, we had this conversation among us. What is journalism? What is activism? Is an activist journalist possible? These are universal questions. Not questions only valid for Turkey today, but I know around the world these questions are being debated. What is your position on activist journalism, as Kadri Gürsel? I'm a, I'm a professional journalist. For a professional journalist, the only field of activism is the defense of freedom of the press. This is the legitimate ground for activism. But an activist cannot be denied from doing journalism as long as he or she does it properly and accordingly. As I said, journalists can have selective agendas. They can devote themselves to a cause, and it's a very thin line which differentiates journalism and instrumentalization of journalism. As long as they provide information, this information can be one-sided. This information can, can be gathered from a, from a one-sided angle. This can be done, I think. This is not illegitimate from the journalistic point of view. But the criterion are, you know, is so simple. The news story must be objective. The news story must be true, objective, well-founded, well-documented, 
and political violence should not be praised. In a democracy, only fully informed citizens can make wise decisions at the ballot box. So Nedim Turfent's story was important in this regard. We don't have the right to underestimate the importance of this story. Uninformed, your choice is unwise. I mean the choice that we made at the ballot box. When we are uninformed, we are unwise. So clear. It is as simple as that. In Nedim Turfan's case, the dilemma is the same. Did Nedim Turfan's story contribute to make us better informed or not? My answer is yes. His story made us better informed about what is going on in the most distant corner of this country. Kadri, thank you so much for your remarks. Although you and I, we have been talking about these things so, so many times, it still has been very enlightening for me. Thanks for being here. Do you have any final notes, comments before I close our first episode? Thank you, John Sue, for making me a part of this noble endeavor for the first episode of this noble endeavor. And then I think this this would contribute to a further understanding of what are we are we doing and what we are for and what are our concerns about the press freedom deficit in Turkey and why is the press freedom vital not only for journalists, but for the people of Turkey. We need to create a conscience in this country, a better understanding in this country, according to better understanding of press freedom in this country. I think this this series of podcasts would uh, contribute to develop such a better understanding that freedom of expression and freedom of the press is essentially good for the citizens This is the perfect message indeed. Press freedoms is good, is vital for everyone, not only the members of the press. This is our final message from us. Thanks for being here at the Freedom Dialogues, International Press Institute's new podcast series. And this was our first episode today. My dear friend, Kadri Gürsel, International Press Institute's uh, National Committee Chair, and also board member globally. We enjoyed this conversation. I hope you all did. And until next time, hope you stay healthy. I hope you enjoy your freedoms, freedom of speech, wherever you are. Take care. This podcast was produced with the financial support of the European Union. However, IPI has the sole responsibility of the content. Discussions and views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views of the European Union.